22, and never attempted to test the accuracy of his authorities by examining monuments of remote antiquity. Footnote 74, these were probably composed in the Saturnian meter, the oldest species of versification among the Romans, in which much greater license was allowed in the laws of quantity than in the meters which were borrowed from the Greeks. Footnote 75, the name signifies a mixture or medley. Hence Alex per Saturum Leda is a law which contains several distinct regulations at once. Chapter XXXIX, The Reign of Augustus Caesar, B.C. 31 A.D. 14, Augustus, being now the Emperor of Rome, sought to win the affections of his people. He lived with Republican simplicity in a plain house on the Palatine Hill, and educated his family with great strictness and frugality. His public conduct was designed to conceal his unbounded power. He rejected all unworthy members from the Senate, and limited the number of the senators to 600. The commission of the centuries was still allowed to pass laws and elect magistrates, but gradually these powers were taken away, until, in the reign of Tiberius, they are mentioned no more. The emperor's chief counselors in public affairs were his four friends, Evipsanes Agrippa, Cecilnes Maecenas, Evlaris Masala, and Asinis Pollio, all persons of excellent talents, and devoted to their master, Agrippa aided him greatly in embellishing the city of Rome with new buildings, and the Pantheon, which was built in the Campus Martins, still bears the inscription, Evipsanes Agrippa, Consul Tertium. Augustus was accustomed to say that he found Rome a city of brick, and left it a city of marble, to secure the peace of the capital, and to extirpate the robbers who filled its streets. Augustus divided Rome into fourteen regions, and each region into several smaller divisions called Visai. A magistrate was placed over each vicus, and all these officers were under the command of the city prefect. A police force, vigils, seven hundred in number, was also provided, who succeeded in restoring the public peace. Italy, in a similar manner, was divided into regions, and local magistrates were appointed, who made life and property everywhere secure. We must notice briefly the extent and condition of that vast empire, over which Augustus ruled too vast, in fact, to be subjected to the control of a single intellect. Italy, the peculiar province of the emperor, had lost a large part of its free population, whose place was supplied by slaves, military colonies were numerous, a kind of settlement which never tended to advance the prosperity of the country, the cities were declining, and many of them almost abandoned, the north of Italy, however, still retained a portion of its former prosperity, its great droves of swine supplied the people of Rome with a large part of their food, vineyards also abounded there, and the wine vats of Upper Italy were said to be often larger than houses, coarse woolen cloths were manufactured in Liguria, and a finer wool was produced near Mudna, but Italy, once so fertile, could no longer produce its own corn, for which it depended chiefly upon Sicily, Africa, and Egypt, the island of Sicily, too had suffered greatly during the civil wars, its cities were fallen into a ruin, and the woods and mountains were filled with fugitive slaves, who, when captured, were taken to Rome and exposed to wild beasts in the amphitheatres. A Roman colony was planted by Augustus in the almost deserted city of Syracuse. The condition of the extensive province of Gaul was more promising, its savage tribes having begun to adopt the arts of civilization. The Gauls purchased from southern traders such articles as they were enabled to produce at home, and supplied Italy, in return, with coarse wool and cargoes of bacon. Several Roman colonies established in Gaul enjoyed various political privileges, but the people in general were oppressed with taxes and burdened with debts. 
the religion of the Druids was discouraged by laws which forbade human sacrifices, and, indeed, all rites opposed to the Roman faith. In southern Gaul the city of Massilia Marseille had imparted civilization to the neighboring tribes, they learned to use the Greek characters in writing, while many of the Gallic cities invited Greek teachers to open schools in their midst. Spain, rich in gold and silver, in fine wool, and a prolific soil, traded largely with Rome. The valley of the Betis, or Guadalquivir, was renowned for its uncommon fertility. Many of the Spaniards had already adopted the language and manners of their conquerors. Spain was divided into three provinces, Betica, Lusitania, and Hispania Terraconadzes. Gads, or Cadiz, was one of the richest cities of the empire, and, according to Dion Cassius, had received the privilege of Roman citizenship from Julius Caesar, whom its people had aided against Pompey's officers. The tribes in the northwest of Spain, however, were savage and inquiet, and their language, the Basque, which still exists shows that they were never perfectly conquered by the Romans. The northern coast of Africa, opposite to Spain, was held by Juba, a native prince, while the Roman province of Africa embraced ancient Carthage, together with a considerable territory around it. This province possessed a large trade. Cyrenaica, to the eastward, included the island of Crete, and was termed a Praetorian province. Egypt was ruled by a governor, who was always taken from the equestrian order. Two legions only were stationed in that province, being the center of the trade between Italy and the Indies. Egypt accumulated great wealth, and was renowned for its extensive commerce. It exported large quantities of corn to Italy, and also papyrus, the best writing material then known. The two finest kinds of papyrus were named the Augustan and the Libyan. Alexandria, the seaport of Egypt, was the second city of the empire. Its commerce was immense, and its museum, colleges, Library, and literary men made it also the center of Greek literature. Alexandria, too, was famous for its superstition and its licentiousness. The festivals and rites of Serapis had long excited the contempt of the wiser Romans. The trade between Alexandria and the Indies was carried on through two routes. One was the famous canal which, begun by Pharaoh Necho, was completed under the government of the Ptolemies, leaving the Nile near the southern point of the delta. The canal after a somewhat circuitous course, joined the Red Sea at the town of Arsino, near the modern town of Suez. Another route was overland from Coptos, on the Nile, across the desert, to Berenice and Myos Hormos. Along this road wells were dug or reservoirs of water provided, and thus an easy communication was kept up with the east. Heavy duties, however, were laid upon all goods entering or leaving Alexandria, and its extensive trade afforded a great revenue to the government. From Egypt to the Aegean Sea, various provinces were created in Syria and Asia Minor. The most extensive of these were the two provinces of Syria and Asia, which were governed by lieutenants of the emperor. Judea retained a nominal independence. Under the government of Herod, Jerusalem was adorned by Herod with magnificent buildings, and Antioch, Tyre, and several other eastern cities were still prosperous and luxurious. They were, however, heavily taxed and suffered from the tyranny and exactions of their Roman rulers. Greece, in the age of Augustus, seems to have been a scene of desolation. It was divided into two provinces, Macedonia and Achaia, both belonging to the jurisdiction of the Senate and the people. Greece had suffered greatly during the civil wars, and had never recovered its ancient prosperity. The peninsula was partly depopulated. Laconia had long lost its importance, and Messenia and Arcadia were almost deserted. 
Corinth and Patrae. However, were flourishing Roman colonies, Tebes was a mere village, Athens still retained its literary renown, and was always a favorite resort for cultivated Romans, but its harbor was deserted, its walls thrown down, and the energy of its people forever gone. Macedonia had suffered equally with Greece, and no trace remained of its former power. Thus we find that the civilized world, at the accession of Augustus, was everywhere marked by desolation and decay. The Roman Empire, at this period, was bounded on the north by the Euxine, the Danube, the Rhine, and the British Channel, westward it reached to the Atlantic, on the south it was confined by the deserts of Africa, and on the east by Assyria and Mesopotamia. The Mediterranean Sea was wholly within the empire, and afforded an easy mode of communication with the different provinces. The government which Augustus now established was designed to preserve the memory of the Republic, while the real power remained with the Emperor alone. The people were deprived of all their former importance, the comitia were only suffered to pass upon laws proposed by the Senate, which was now wholly under the control of the Emperor. Consuls and other magistrates were still chosen annually, and Augustus, in the earlier years of his reign, was accustomed to solicit votes for his favorite candidates, who, however, were always elected, later he contented himself with furnishing them with a written recommendation. The Senate met twice in every month, instead of three times, as was the former custom, except during September and October, when no meetings were held. The provinces were governed by proconsuls, several of whom were appointed by the Senate and the people, but all of them were carefully observed by the Emperor. Rome itself was governed by a prefect, whose duty it was to preserve the public peace. In this manner Augustus, by the aid of his proconsuls, held a despotic rule over all his dominions. He controlled the Senate, too, through his authority as censor, and appointed or deposed its members, and he raised the property qualification of each senator to about 50.000. A large part of the people of the capital were maintained by the free distribution of corn, but Augustus reduced the number from 320.000 to 200.000 providing for the poorer citizens by settling them in new colonies, and his measures seem to have produced general contentment. He was also sincerely desirous to reform the morals of the nation. Several laws were passed encouraging marriage, and in B.C. 18 he obliged the Senate to decree that marriage should be imperative upon every citizen of suitable age. Celibacy was punished by an incapacity to receive bequests, and even the childless married man was deprived of half his legacy. These efforts, however, failed, and a general license prevailed. As censor, he sought to restrain extravagance, and limited the sum to be expended upon entertainments. He insisted that the toga, the national dress, be worn at least at the public spectacles. He endeavored to preserve the distinctions of rank by providing each of the three orders with its own seats in the circus, and he plainly sought to elevate the aristocracy, and to withdraw all political power from the people. It is said, however, that he once entertained the design of resigning his authority, but was prevented from doing so by the advice of his friends, who represented to him that the Romans were no longer capable of governing themselves. The Praetorian Guard, which Augustus provided for his own protection, consisted of ten cohorts, each containing 800 or 1,000 men, both cavalry and foot, of these only three cohorts were kept in the city, the others being distributed through the Italian towns. These soldiers received double pay, and were commanded by the prefectus praetorii, at a later period they became the masters of the empire. The whole army, amounting to about 350.000 men, 
was encamped in various portions of his dominions. His fleet, which numbered 500 ships, was stationed chiefly at Mizanum and Ravenna. His revenues arose from the contributions of the provinces, from various taxes, and from the rent of the public domain. An excise was imposed upon all goods exposed for sale, and there was also a tax upon all bachelors. Augustus encouraged commerce and industry, built new roads, and provided the capital with an abundance of food. Games and public spectacles were exhibited to amuse the people. A free distribution of corn relieved the indigent. Literature was encouraged, the arts flourished with new vigor, and the people and the senate, pleased with present tranquility, bestowed upon Augustus the title of the father of his country. Several conspiracies, however, alarmed the emperor. In B.C. 30, Lepidus, a son of the former triumvir, had formed a plot for his destruction, which was detected by Marcinus, and its author put to death. Another, in B.C. 22, was also unsuccessful. In A.D. 4, Cinna, a grandson of Pompey, was discovered in a similar attempt, and was pardoned at the request of Livia, he was afterward even raised to the consulship. But so intimidated was Augustus by the fear of assassination, that, toward the close of his life, he never went to a meeting of the Senate without wearing a breastplate under his robe. The military enterprises of Augustus were in general successful. He led an army into Spain, and subdued the Cantabri and Esters, returning to Rome B.C. 24, while in Spain he founded several cities, among others Augusta Emerita Merida, and Caesar Augustus Aragossa, Frates, king of the Parthians. Fearful of the Roman arms, gave up the Roman standards taken from Crossus and Antony, B.C. 20, and this event was celebrated by striking medals and by the verses of the Augustan poets. The emperor hung up the standards in a temple which he had built at Rome to Mars. The Avenger, Tiberius and Drusus, the two sons of Livia by her former husband, were distinguished commanders, and gained many victories over the Germans, but, in B.C. 9, Drusus died from a fall from his horse. Tiberius then took the command of the army, and gained a great victory over the Sidembri. He returned to Rome B.C. 6, and triumphed, was saluted Imperator, and received the Tribunitian power for five years. Soon after, indignant at the dissolute conduct of his wife Julia, and the honors bestowed upon her sons by Agrippa, he withdrew to Rhodes, where he remained for seven years, a discontented exile. He returned to Rome in A.D. 2, and, two years after, was adopted by Augustus as his son. He next conquered a large part of Germany, and defeated several large bodies of the Marcomanni in what is now the territory of Bohemia. But, while he was employed upon this expedition, Parmenes, the German hero, excited an insurrection of his countrymen against the cruel Romans, cut off Varus, their leader, with his army, and filled Rome with alarm. Germany seemed lost. Augustus, when he heard of the disaster, exclaimed, Varus, Varus, give me back my legions, Tiberius, however, together with Germanicus, the brave son of Drusus, returned to the defense of the frontier, but did not venture to penetrate into the forests beyond the Rhine, in his domestic life Augustus was singularly unfortunate, Livia, his wife, for whom he entertained a sincere affection, was a person of strong intellect and various accomplishments, but she was descended from the Claudian family, and inherited all the pride, ambition, and love of political intrigue which marked the descendants of a pious Claudius. She was also married to a Claudius, and thus her two sons by her first husband, Tiberius and Drusus, were even more than herself Claudians. On them all Livia's affections were fixed, 
To secure their aggrandizement she hesitated at no effort and no crime, and when Drusus died, her son Tiberius, who resembled his mother in disposition, became the chief object of her regard. Her husband and his family were looked upon with jealousy and dislike, and the darkest suspicions were aroused at Rome by the death, one by one, of every person who stood between Tiberius and the throne. Livia had no child by her second marriage, and the only heir of Augustus was Julia, the daughter of his former wife, Scribonia. Julia was beautiful, intelligent, and highly educated, and Augustus, who was strongly attached to his own family, looked upon his daughter with singular affection and pride. He hoped to see her grow up pure, wise, and discreet in new Lucretia, the representative of the ideal Roman matron, and he early accustomed Julia to practice moderation in dress, to spend hours at the spinning wheel, and to look upon herself as destined to become the model and example of Roman women. Julia was first married to her cousin Marcellus, the son of Octavia, a young man of excellent character, whom Augustus adopted and probably destined as his successor, but, in B.C. 23, Marcellus died, amid the sincere grief of all the Romans. Marcellus has been made immortal by a few touching lines of Virgil. Not long after, Augustus married Julia to his friend Agrippa, and they had five children three sons, Caius, Lucius, and Agrippa Posthumus, the latter being born after the death of his father, and two daughters, Julia and Agrippina. These children were now the hope of the people and the emperor, and objects of jealousy and dislike to Olivia and Tiberius. In B.C. 12 Agrippa died. Augustus then prevailed upon Tiberius to divorce his own wife, to whom he was sincerely attached, in order to marry Julia. Their union was an unhappy one, and, after living together for about a year, they separated forever. The conduct of Julia, in fact, had long been marked by gross immoralities and Augustus alone was unconscious of her unworthiness. He refused to believe that his daughter, whom he had destined to become an example of purity, had so deceived and dishonored him. At length, however, he became convinced of her guilt, and banished her B.C. to, to the island Planetaria Santa Maria, off the coast of Campania, where she was treated with just severity. Her daughter Julia, who had shared in her excesses, was also sent into exile. Meanwhile Caius and Lucius Caesar both died suddenly. Caius was sent to the east in B.C. 1, to improve himself in military affairs, and there died, A.D. 3, from the effects of a wound given him by an assassin, Lucius, the younger, having gone on a mission to Spain in A.D. 2, fell sick and died at Massilia. About this time Tiberius had been recalled from Rhodes and entrusted with the chief care of public affairs. It was believed at Rome that Livia and her son had removed the two Caesars by poison and assassination. All happiness must now have fled from the breast of the emperor. He still, however, attended carefully to the duties of his station. In AD 4 he adopted Tiberius. Together with Agrippaposthumus, Tiberius was obliged at the same time to adopt Germanicus, the eldest son of his brother Drusus. In AD 7 Augustus was induced to banish Agrippaposthumus who proved unworthy of his favor, to the island of Planasia, and this act was ratified by a decree of the Senate, it was thought, however, that Livia was again the cause of this unnatural act. In AD 8 the poet Ovid was banished for some unknown crime. Illustration, Medlev Agrippina, showing the carpentum, or chariot, in which the Roman ladies were accustomed to ride. It was in the year 5 or 7 BC for the true date is unknown, that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was born at Bethlehem, in Judea, 
in AD 14, Augustus, aided by Tiberius, took a census the third during his reign, his health, which had always been delicate, now rapidly declined, he had long borne with patience the infirmities of old age, and he now retired to Nola, where he died, August 19th, AD 14, in the same room where his father had died before him, it is said that as he was dying he exclaimed to those around him, have I not acted my part well, it is time for the applause, he was 76 years old, his subjects lamented his death with sincere grief, since they had felt the happy effects of his care, his funeral rites were performed in great solemnity, his body was burned on the campus Martis, and his ashes were placed in the splendid mausoleum which he had built for himself and his family, the senate ordered him to be numbered among the gods of Rome, in appearance Augustus was of middle stature, his features regular, and his eyes of uncommon brilliancy, he was a tolerable writer, and capable of distinguishing literary merit, his chosen friends were all men of letters, and his fame with posterity rests, in a great degree, upon that circle of poets, historians, and eminent scholars by whom he was surrounded, the Augustan age, indeed, forms one of the most remarkable periods in the history of the human intellect, illustration, medal of Nero, showing an organ and a sprig of laurel, probably designed as a prize medal for a musician, chapter XL, from the accession of Tiberius, A.D. 1437, to Dio A.D. 96, a feeling resembling loyalty had grown up at Rome toward the family of Augustus, and no one ventured to dispute the claim of Tiberius to the throne, Livia, however, who had attended the deathbed of the emperor, concealed his death until her son arrived, and then proclaimed, at the same moment, the death of Augustus and the accession of his successor. The first event of the new reign was the assassination of Agripaposthumus, grandson of Augustus, and, according to the modern rule of descent, the proper heir to the throne. The guilt of this act was shared between Tiberius and his mother, who were also accused of having hastened the death of Augustus. Tiberius summoned the Senate to assemble, announced the death of the emperor, and pretended a wish to be relieved from the cares of empire, the Senate, however, refused to accept his feigned resignation, and he yielded to their wishes, this body now became the chief source of legislation, Tiberius took away from the people the power of making laws and of electing magistrates, the senators consulted, or decrees of the Senate, were made the source of law, without any authority from the commissia, the Senate selected the consuls from four candidates presented to them by the emperor, and thus the last trace of the popular power passed away. Meanwhile two mutinies occurred among the soldiers, which seemed at first to threaten a change in the government. The legions of Pannonia, complaining of long service and indifferent pay, rose against their commander Blasius, but were induced to a return to their duty by Drusus, the son of Tiberius. A more important insurrection broke out among the legions of the Rhine, who sought to prevail upon Germanicus, the son of Drusus to accept the imperial crown, Germanicus, however, who was adorned with many noble qualities, refused to yield either to their entreaties or their threats, Agrippina, his wife, with the infant Caius, joined Germanicus in imploring the soldiers not to forget their duty, and they at length relented, and even gave up their leaders, Germanicus had now deserved the hatred of the jealous and treacherous Tiberius, he was beloved by the people and the army, was frank, generous, and brave, he had married Agrippina, the daughter of Julia and Agrippa, and was the adopted son of the emperor himself. His mind had been highly cultivated, and he excelled in all elegant exercises. He seems, in fact, 
who had been one of the noblest of the Romans. In AD 14 he led an army across the Rhine, but the next year planned a more important expedition, in which he defeated the Germans under Armenes, and buried the remains of the army of the unfortunate Varus under an earthen mound. His third campaign was still more successful. In AD 16 he gained an important battle in the valley of the Weser, and recovered the last of the eagles lost by Varus. Tiberius, jealous of his fame, now recalled him, and resolved that the limits of the empire should not be enlarged. In AD 17 Germanicus triumphed, surrounded in his chariot by his five sons. The same year he was sent to the east to settle the affairs of the eastern provinces. Meanwhile a war broke out in Germany between Armenes and Marbatus. Drusus was sent thither to contrive the destruction of both leaders, which he seems to have effected, since Marbatus was driven to seek protection from the Romans, while the brave Armenes was soon after slain by the hands of his fellow Germans. Germanicus, in AD 18, visited Athens, sailed up the Nile the same year, and then, having returned to Syria, died of poison administered to him by Sion, Piso, a friend of the Empress Livia. His death excited great grief at Rome where he was buried with solemnity in A.D. 20. Piso, meanwhile, being tried before the Senate, and finding himself about to be condemned, sought a voluntary death. Tiberius was cold and unpopular in his manners, awkward and even timid in his carriage, but a master of dissimulation. The only person of whom he stood in all was his mother Livia, but he lived in constant fear of insurrection. The Lex Majestas, which he enlarged and enforced with unusual severity was now the source of great evil to his country. This law defined treason against the emperor. Tiberius made it include words as well as acts, and thus he who spoke lightly of the emperor's person or authority might be punished with death. From this law grew up the delators, or informers, persons who made it their chief occupation to denounce those who were obnoxious to the emperor. The informers soon grew numerous, some of them were persons of high rank, who sought to display their eloquence and to win the favor of the emperor, by denouncing his opponents in envenomed rhetoric, while others were common spies. No man's life was safe at Rome from this moment, and the purest and wisest citizens were exposed to the attacks of an infinite number of delators. Tiberius encouraged the informers. Elise Saturninus was flung from the Tarpeian rock for a libel upon the emperor. Silanus was banished for disparaging the majesty of Tiberius. Tiberius who professed to imitate the policy of Augustus in every particular, seems to have governed with firmness and ability. He improved the condition of the provinces, restrained the avarice of the provincial governors, maintained good order in the capital, and strove to check the growth of luxury, but the morals of the capital were now hopelessly depraved, and the vice and corruption of the whole world flowed into the streets of Rome. Ili Seginus, the prefect of the Praetorians, had long been the friend and chief advisor of the emperor. He was cruel, and scrupulous, and ambitious the proper instrument of a tyrant. In AD 21 an insurrection broke out in Gaul, which was scarcely subdued when the Germans rose against the Romans. The Gauls, too, led by Sacrovir, a druid, who exercised a superstitious influence over his countrymen, once more rebelled. Drusus, who had been made consul with his father, was sent against them, and reduced them to subjection. The druid Sacrovir burned himself in a house to which he had fled. In AD 22 Drusus received the Tribunitian power. He was the only son of Tiberius, and was married to Olivia, or Livilla, as she was sometimes called. Seginus had now conceived a design which led him to resolve upon the destruction of all the imperial family. Since he himself began to aspire to the throne, 
and the elevation of Drusus filled him with disgust. In AD 23 he prevailed upon Tiberius to remove all the Praetorian guards, about nine or ten thousand in number, to a camp near the city. He appointed their officers, won the soldiers with bribes and flatteries, and thus believed he had gained a sure support. Drusus stood in his path, and he resolved to destroy him. He won the affections of Livilla, and prevailed upon her to poison her husband. The unhappy prince died in 23. Tiberius received the news of his son's death with a composure almost incredible. He told the Senate, who put on mourning robes, that he had given himself to his country. A splendid funeral procession was prepared for Drusus, in which the statues of Atus Clausus, the Sabine chief, the founder of the Claudian generals, and of Aeneas, and the Alban kings, were carried side by side, thus recalling the memories of the early regal dynasty, as well as of the severe founders of the Republic. Agrippina, the widow of Germanicus, together with her numerous family, next aroused the hostility of Sejanus, and he resolved upon their destruction. In AD 25 he proposed for the hand of Livilla, but Tiberius refused to sanction the connection. In AD 26 eleven cities contended for the privilege of making Tiberius their tutelar deity, but he declined this honor. Soon after, the emperor, as if anxious to escape from the sarcasms and the scandal of Rome, retired from the city, accompanied by a single senator, Coxes Nerva, and at length, in AD 27, hid himself in the island of Capriae, on the coast of Campania, here he built twelve villas in different parts of the island, and lived with a few companions, shut out from mankind, no one was allowed to land upon the shores of Capriae, and even fishermen who broke this rule through ignorance were severely punished, every day, however, dispatches were brought from the continent, and he still continued to direct the affairs of his vast empire. Sejanus was left to govern Rome, but frequently visited the emperor at his island. In AD 29, Livia, the widow of Augustus, died, at the age of 86 years, having retained her powerful intellect and her love of political intrigue to the close of her life. It is said that her private charities were great, and that she remained faithful to the memory of her imperial husband, the family of Germanicus. Meanwhile, were crushed by the arts of Sejanus. In AD 29 Tiberius directed the Senate to banish Agrippina and her son Nero, and they were confined separately upon two barren islands. Drusus, the second son, was soon after imprisoned, while Caius, the youngest, by his flatteries and caresses, preserved the favor of Tiberius, and was admitted into Capriae. The emperor now began to doubt the fidelity of his chosen friend Sejanus. Although their statues had been placed together in the Temple of Friendship on the island, and he sent a letter to the Senate in which he denounced him as a traitor, such was the end of a guilty friendship. Sejanus was flung into the Mamertine prison, and there strangled. The people threw his body into the Tiber. A.D. 31, great numbers of his friends or relatives perished with him, and a general massacre filled Rome with terror. He was succeeded in his power by Sertorius Macro, who had aided in his destruction. Tiberius. Meanwhile, seems to have become a raging madman. He put to death his niece Agrippina, with her two children, and ruled over the Senate with pitiless cruelty. His companion, Coxes Nerva, filled with melancholy at the misfortunes of his country, resolved upon suicide, nor could all the entreaties or commands of Tiberius prevail upon him to live. In AD 35 Tiberius made his will, dividing his estate between Caius, the youngest son of Germanicus and Tiberius Gamelus, the son of the second Drusus, Macro, probably Fee.